You're listening to The Thrive Podcast, where every week we dive into a practical, tactical tip to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday girl who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. Guess who's back? Back again. Jackie's back. Welcome back to Thrive. Triple certified Enneagram coach and expert Jackie Coben is back on Thrive to dive even deeper into one of my personal favorite topics, the Enneagram. As any sucker for a good personality test knows well, the Enneagram is an incredibly in-depth tool for discovering more about yourself and your relationships with others. Today on Thrive, Jackie is building upon what we've already built to specifically discuss goal setting based on your Enneagram type, how to harness your core motivation and intrinsic nature to set better intentions and more realistic goals starting now. Stay tuned through this conversation. Drop it five stars if you like what you're listening to. And now welcome, Jackie. Thank you so much, Erica. It's so good to see you again. It's so good to be back. It's been too long. (laughs) Oh my God. It's been a minute. We last chatted. Well, I feel like we've probably chatted since then, but we have last seen each other face to face over good old Zoom back in the height of the pandemic, man. August 2020 was when our, yeah. So in case for anybody new here, hi, hello, welcome to Thrive. Jackie is a brilliant what is it? Triple certified coach, triple certified. life coach, <laughs> Enneagram coach, NLP. And she was last with us in August, 2020. So scroll back a ways. We'll link, actually don't even scroll. We'll just link her last episode in the yeah. show notes down below for you to make it easy peasy. But we went deep with what the Enneagram is, what it means, why it matters, how it can impact your relationships. Um, I think we also talked about how you might be prone to self-sabotage based on your Enneagram type, which oh, was super yeah. fun. Lots of goodness in there, like ridiculously interesting. So definitely go back and listen to that. But since that was a hot second ago and so much has happened since then, can you kind of kick us off with the Cliff Notes version um, and a little bit, feel free to reintroduce yourself too for all of our fun friends who have not met you before. Oh, I love that. Yes, absolutely. So my name is Jackie. I am from the greater New York City area. I'm an Enneagram coach. Um, I... If you are so thrown by that personality coach, that's totally fine. Um, I love people and I love helping them use their personalities, their core innate abilities to create their dream life. I think it's the most sustainable way to go. And I've been happily doing that for a couple of years. It's just been amazing. So I'm really excited to dive in and and just do more like this is going to be so, so cool. Wait, what is your Enneagram type also? I'm an Enneagram too, which is called the helper giver. I don't know if you can see my sweater. It says emotional support human on it. Uh, <laughs> so I on brand. I sell, so on brand. I sell these in the shop, but this is like, you know, I'm, I'm, I try so hard to like help people understand like, what's the core, like, what's the core? What does that mean from a outside perspective? So I'm an emotional support human, AKA um, the helper or giver in Enneagram too. And it, yeah. like, you'll, and we'll hear more about it, but it is just, it's so fun to, it's fun and it's scary, but it's so fun to get to know yourself on like a deeper level like that, you know? Yeah. And do you remember when we met last time and we had known each other for, I don't know, all of seven minutes and I put you on the spot and I was like, Jackie, guess my Enneagram type. And you literally nailed it and my wing. And I 
almost through the microphone. I said, shut the front door. You are. Was it a two wing? Something. Was it two wing, right? Three with two it wing? Was a two, three wing two. You got it, baby. There it is. <laughs> there it is. I love that. No, I love that I so know. much. Okay. So give us the, give us the clip notes version. Run us through the Enneagram real quick with the basics for people who are sitting there like, whoa, hold up. Never heard right. of it. No clue where, where we're starting here. Yeah. So basically long story short, the Enneagram is a personality typing system and you could start there and end it there and that's okay. Um, but there are nine main personality types and that's kind of where you start. That's your starting point, And that's like the most simple and it's easy to grab onto. And so I'll give a quick description of the nine. The, the type one is often called the reformer or the perfectionist. I like reformer, but they're very principled and very ethical. They have this strong sense of right and wrong, but also this desire to see it through, to see the right and wrong through. Um, they're really organized and orderly, but they can be a little bit critical and perfectionist at times, but at their best, they're very wise, they're very discerning, and they're moral heroes for all of us. Um, the type two, like I said before, is called the helper or the giver. And these people are the best humans on earth. They are very warm and interpersonal and very generous with their time and talent and treasure. They like, they really love to give. They really love to help. But they're driven to be needed because it makes them feel like they can be loved. And so it, it's a little bit complicated there. But at their best, they're very unselfish and they love without limits. Like very young. They are the, I think... I'm not there yet. And so I can say this, but I think they are the standard of unconditional love. And I, I love that. And I, I desire to be there. The type three, which is also the best humans in the world. Uh, my sister is actually type three and I love that, but they are very, very adaptable, very success oriented. They're usually, you know, so charming and, and dressed to kill. And like, you know, the times that we've had FaceTime, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Like you always look like a freaking rock star. I'm like, Come on. I, I'm here in sweat. So this, I have she's deep lying. conditioner in my hair. No, I have deep conditioner in my hair. I was like, she's going to judge me. She's a three. Like, <laughs> no, I haven't washed my hair in a week, girl. You're a step ahead of me. <laughs> uh, well, you have a mom. Oh, excuse me. You're a mom. So that's it's a little bit different. I have no excuses. I'm just me. But threes are they they really are like not just dressed to kill on the outside, but also like ready to freaking go on the inside at all times. They're hardworking. They're like machines. Um. But, you know, with that type of personality type, your worth and your works can meld together. And it's really hard to be like, well, where does my value really come from? But at their best, they're able to accept themselves and to work hard and be able to separate my worth and my works. Um, the type four is called the individualist or the romantic or the tortured artist or the John Mayer. I mean, it really depends. Like, I just you know, go anywhere you'd like, but they're very, very introspective. They're self-aware. I often make the joke that they don't like do emotions or have emotions they are emotions. They are feelings. Um, they often feel, and I think this is the big ticket when people are like, am I this? They often feel ruled by a hidden shame that they they can't really explain, but they are incredibly creative, incredibly, like they have a, a massive depth uh, capacity for emotions. Um, but at their best, they're inspiring, highly creative, and they're able to experience these emotions without staying inside of them. Type five is called the investigator or the theorist or the observer. I love the theorist. I think it's like the most accurate. They're very, very cerebral and alert. They can be a little detached, but they're still intense. Like they're just these incredible people. They're incredible people that you want to call a five if you're trying to compare cars, you know, like they're very independent, innovative uh, pioneers, but they can deal with isolation and skepticism. And sometimes they fear that they can be incompetent and that derails all of the knowledge that they've stored up. But at their best, like I said, they're pioneers. They will lead the way um, and help us achieve our goals and, and think bigger. 
type six is called the loyalist or the guardian. And they are freaking awesome. They are, if you have a friend in your life who maybe starts a sentence with like, I'm just worried that, but you know that they're ringing the alarm because they love the people around them. That is your type six. They are hardworking. They are reliable. They are responsible. Um, they can run on stress, uh, but also complain about it at the same time. It's like, it's like, it's giving me a high, but I'm really, really stressed. And that's kind of like their natural state. Like my nervous system's in shock. Um, but at their best, they're very self-confident. They don't doubt themselves and they're very courageous despite the fear that they feel on the inside. The Enneagram type seven is called the enthusiast. Oh my gosh, I love them. They're like the Peter Pan of the Enneagram. They are so like busy and they're productive. They love going from one fun experience to the next or one thing to the next. Like they're often thinking about what's what's next for me before the last thing ends. Um, they can become a little bit distracted, but that's what c comes with being like playful and high spirited. They may have some issues with impulsive uh, impulsivity because well we're always thinking about what's next and it's hard to be present but at their best they're very accomplished they're very present and full of gratitude and they can grow themselves at any stage the enneagram type eight is called the challenger and this type is i think it's the worst rap out of everybody on the enneagram but i love my eights they are powerful and and dominating they're self-confident in the best way they are strong and assertive. And no, those are not bad things to say about somebody. Um, they're not afraid of confrontation. Like, you know, I think often the phrase bull in a China shop is used and we can all be that if we're not trying, if we're, you know, trying to not, you know, if we're trying to hurt somebody, but um, <laughs> they often struggle with transparency and vulnerability. And when you see, you know, these types that get bigger to protect other people, that's a very, very common thing. But at their best, when they self-master um, the big things that are going on inside of them, they can both stay at level and protect the people around them. And the Enneagram type nine is called the peacemaker or the wallflower. And they are they are the sweethearts of the Enneagram. They are easy easygoing. They're so easy to blend well with. They're just so willing to help you to stand by you. It's a very, very similar to the twos, except the nines are afraid of conflict. And that's one of the things that they will do almost anything to avoid conflict. And that is relative. So if you don't think it's conflict, they might. And so if they can get past that when they're at their, be their best, they are indomitable. Like they are strong. And once they've decided to do something, you can't talk them out of it. You can't stop them. Um, and so when I, you know, at the end of each of these nine types I kind of mentioned like at their best, at their best, because when we hear about our own type, we might hear like at face value, oh, the the six sounds like this. That sounds like my brother. But if a six hears it, it's like, oh, my God, they're reading my mail. They're reading my mail. And it's I, I don't want to look in the mirror and be faced with these things, you know, but at at our best, like that's where we're trying to all, all get. This is the capability that we all have to get there. So I, I love going over um, the nine types. Thank you. Of course. And then we all have a wing, right? We all just have one wing. So correct me if I'm wrong here. So your wing is definitely something that is a number immediately adjacent to your main Enneagram type. And that is, and then what is the, what's the whole thing with whoever's counter to you on the Enneagram? Cause it's oh, not you're stressing. Thing? Like, yes. Okay. So wings are, are interesting. So you can have, you can have one or the other. Some people say that, Oh, I have none. Um, and you might just not identify with it and that's okay. We often subdue, there's, um, a wing that you blend well with and one that you conflict with, which makes a lot of sense. We're complex humans, but, 
um, the wing is the number to the left or to the right of your main number. And it's kind of like adding, you know, dressing to a salad. It's like my salad is my salad. I am who I am. Um, but if I put ranch, it's like this. And if I put balsamic, it's like this. And it just enhances or adds to the salad. And then and you're just kind of uh, I, I refer to it as borrowing inspiration. You're borrowing inspiration. It's kind of how like you and your sister might be completely different, but you've inherited some of her traits because you spent a lot of time with her. It's kind of like that. And the numbers for stress and health, you'll see these weird arrows going. I call them the Enneagram subway lines. They're like all over the place. Looks like a map New York City. And basically when a type is just not in their element, they are maybe a little bit stressed. They're not in their most peak health emotionally, mentally. Um, they will go to their stress number. So I myself, an Enneagram 2, the helper, this warm-hearted person, in my stress, I go to an Enneagram 8. I get bigger. I become a challenger. Um, and when I'm healthy, I go to a different type. I borrow inspiration from a different type. I borrow inspiration from the Enneagram type 4. And I don't feel like it's weird to be honest about my emotions. And I can you know, have this whole experience without getting lost in it. And so there's so much beauty in the fact that, you know, people often say like, well, there's all these billions of people on this earth and you're going to boil them down to non nine types. And it's like, yeah, because it's complicated and it's complex. And you just don't start and end there. I was like, oh, I'm a two and this makes sense. And then I was like, oh, this is my wing. This makes a lot of sense. And then, oh, this is my other wing and it makes a lot of sense. This is my stress number. It, may, it just keeps um, unfolding. And that's why you see a lot of variations with people. So then is everybody's stress number within the same type also the same? Like when you said in stress, you're an eight or you can borrow from a four, like, is that going to be the same for everybody who's also a two? Correct. Exactly. So, um, three, six, and nine go together, for example. So the Enneagram three usually is incredibly, you know, like hardworking and like, let's freaking do this. Let's whatever. And when they're healthy, right? They're more collaborative. They go to the Enneagram six. They're like, you know what, let's make this a social thing. It'll be more secure. Um, and when they're in a little bit of their stress, they're going to go to Enneagram nine. They're going to withdraw a little bit. They're going to not really want to do anything and they're going to struggle with inertia. It's going to take a lot to get going. And maybe when they're going, they'll keep going, but it's going to take a lot to get them there. So for, for every Enneagram three, this is what stress looks like. This is what health looks like, but it varies person to person. Um, it also varies situation to situation. I've met with clients and it was interesting to learn this in real time, but I met with a client who for the large part of her work environment was like the average to healthy side. But in a lot of her relationships was like the, you know, I'd say average to more unhealthy side of things. And so it is situational. There's, you know, humans are incredibly complex. No matter how much literature we have on the Enneagram, we will always be very complex people. <laughs> For sure. Okay. And is this the same thing as converging types or is that like a whole other thing? Is that a whole other rabbit hole? That That is a whole other rabbit hole. But just to, to like sum it up and make it real fast, Converging types is basically when you take the healthy side of your type, the healthy side of the type you go to in health, and the healthy side of the type that you go to when you're stressed. So I have my health Whoa. type and my stress type. And if I can embrace health, the healthy side of both of those types, plus who I am as a person, converging. So it's it's one of those things where as we grow... and In real time, let's give an example. Like Let's say you have someone who's working on themselves and taking care of all of the different areas of their life. You might see them in a year, two years. You recognize them. They're still them, but they're this elevated, different version of themselves. And they're like, wow, you look, you're like, wow, you look, you look good. You sound good. You look better. And you, you can't really explain it. That's how I like to explain the converging types. Okay. So I'm a three 
wing two. So what's my converging type? So your converging type would be the healthiest version you could be of the Enneagram three, the healthiest version you could be of the Enneagram three in its health. So the three and the six and the health, your converging type would also be the healthiest version that you could possibly be um, with when you go to nine in stress. So can I borrow from nine when I'm not stressed? Can I borrow the good things from the nine? Can I, that would be your converging type. There's also, you know, and this can get a little confusing, but there's also tri-types, but we could go into that in a very very different time. I told you there's so many groups of threes with the Enneagram. It's the funniest thing. Okay. One, a group of three that I do want to hit on these groupings. Um, we talked about this really quickly before we started recording. Yeah. We were like, Ooh, this is good. Is the centers of intelligence yes. within, within it and how those groupings work. So break that down for us. Feel free to go like super hardcore into it because I feel like this is super cool. Okay. Yes. So there are three centers of intelligence, the head, the heart, and the gut. And sometimes you'll say, you know, like the head, the heart, the body, or like your feeling center, your thinking center, or your instinct center, right? And that's kind of where I like to to land because it's not like, I'm not detached from my heart. Okay, sweetie, like that's fine. So, <laughs> you know, um, but it the Enneagram tends to work in threes. So types two, three, and four are the heart types. And what that means is you have your brain, but your mind is different than your brain. You're, you have your, your, your kind of your, op, your operating center, right? That for those types is from the heart. That's how they filter information, how they hear stories, how they receive information, give information, things like that. Then you've got um, five, six, and seven, and that's the thinking center. And this is the center that relies on their brain, but also relies on their brain for their source of thinking. And so they're a lot more logical, straightforward, kind of like cut to the chase. It doesn't mean they don't want to have fun, but that's how they process information. And then you've got eight, nine, and one. And that is the instinct center or gut or body center. And these are the types of people who, you know, you know, those people hard and fast from the gut and that it's, it's almost reactionary, but it's not, it's their way of thinking. And so, um, one of the things that I think is so important, and I say this because you're a three is that there's, if if we think about the concept of wings and how a one and, um, a, or excuse me, a two and a four sandwich the three. And that would be like the three's wings, right? Because it's like a clock. Um, so because the three is in the middle of that triad, the center of intelligence, the heart center, and it's got a wing on one side that's very involved in the heart center. And it's got a wing on the other side that is also very involved in the heart center. What the three does is it gets a little bit overwhelmed and represses the heart center. If I'm going to get anything done, I got to repress this. And you'll see that very commonly three, six, and nine, because they're in the middle of their center. So six has got five on one side, very mentally preoccupied, and seven on the other, very mentally preoccupied. And to do that, the six will subdue its mind center and shut it down. And so you'd think, like, you, you almost see, like, sometimes frantic people are like, oh, they're doing the most logical thing. They're, and it's like, no, they're not. <laughs> they're not always thinking logically because they've kind of subdued that part of themselves. And the same with the nine, it's between the eight and the one, and it can get really overwhelming as a person who doesn't really like conflict. So they shut that down. They shut that body instinct down until the dam bursts. And it always does. Man, it's so scary accurate how you could be just hearing you talk about something and you start explaining it and you're just sitting there and you're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep, checks out. That Relatable. Right. <laughs> it's like you feel like somebody's reading your soul and you're like, ooh, 
Oh, the, I, I honestly like, and that's one of those things where it's like, I'm not, I'm not like so good at my job, but like the reality of it is, is I've met with, you know, with couples and, you know, the, let's say the husband will come in as a skeptic and leave a client, you know, and it's one of those things where it's like, people are always feeling misunderstood, but looking to be understood. That's the human condition. Um, and so I, I think it's a really, it's a scary, like the mirror is never not scary, right? Staring in a mirror. But it's a really beautiful way to get to know ourselves. You know what I mean? Because how many times do we not know what we don't know about ourselves? For sure. Okay, so I want to get to the the meaty, juicy part here that I was super excited to ask you about from the start, because obviously it's the beginning of a new year. We've mm-hmm. all got, you know, goals, intentions, resolutions, whatever you want to call it, are probably hot on people's brains still. So I want to kind of connect the dots. Mm. Uh, if, and I'm sure you're like the perfect person to do this <laughs> because each Enneagram type has its own core motivation. Mm-hmm. Is there a way that we can kind of harness that important piece of ourselves and use that for good goal setting and kind of forward think and plan and dream accordingly and kind of do it based on, you know, knowing what we know about our Enneagram, how can we kind of build off of that and, literally plan the rest of our lives (laughs) or at least like use it for our short-term, long-term, whatever kind of goal setting planning we're doing and kind of merge them together. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think it, let me start by saying, I think it's the best way to do it. Um, We were talking a little earlier and I kind of mentioned like, it doesn't really matter if you can reach your goal, if you can't do it again, and you probably can't do it again if you don't do it based on you. Right. And so you see a lot of people who are like, I tried this method, that method, and like these things don't work. And one of the things I love to say so often is if the shoe doesn't fit, don't blame the foot. Just find a different shoe. You'd do that in any store, right? And so, so um, I, I love this. I love this idea of setting your goals based on you because you'll win. You will win. Um, so type ones, I'd say, let's say we're goal setting and type ones tend to be perfectionists. And sometimes what comes with that is I want to say nasty, but sometimes parental sounding inner critic. And what that inner critic will tell you is that you're not at your goal yet. And I think one of the most important things, if you're an Enneagram one, is to start your goal by saying this is when it's completed. This is the next step of when it's completed. We know that like different goals work in different layers and setting actual, this is how I know it's done. This is how I know it's like a, a measurable goal because if you are a perfectionist, you know there's no measuring stick for when it's done. There's no it's when something internally tells you you're good enough, the project's done. So when you're setting your goals, if you're an Enneagram one, make sure you're measuring when does this thing feel completed? And in, in, in how many steps can I break that down? Because to feel completion throughout the whole process is a very, very rewarding uh feeling. So I'd say that for Enneagram type one. Enneagram type two is the helpers. Oh my goodness. So this is going to sound a little bit like, oh, I thought you were going to tell me how to reach my goals. You have to ask yourself multiple times a day, what do I need? And can I ask anyone to help me with that? Promise you that the only way to awaken to like what your true goals really are and how to truly reach them is to first get in touch with yourself about what you need. And, And when you're a helper, it's very, very common that we don't necessarily feel that if, if we have to earn our love by helping, we don't have time to really love or care about ourselves. So I need to take a minute and ask myself, what do I need and how can I reach out to make that happen? That is the first step in, I don't even want to say goal reaching, goal setting is actually to be able to check in with yourself. That's a muscle that atrophies without use. 
Um, I'd say for Enneagram type three, I'm so scared right now. <laughs> no, I'm just um, so I'd say for Enneagram type three, um, goal setting can be really, really hard because a lot of the, t- or excuse me, goal reaching and setting can be really difficult because a lot of the time it's like trying to just check something off and we have our goals that make us feel like we've accomplished something and we do them for the sake of accomplishment. And then we have our goals that are really actually our goals. And we will get thwarted because real goals have things that we want to procrastinate or things that make us deal with our emotions or things that make us feel like we're not enough. And then our achievable goals are easy. It's like, I want to learn how to do my own nails. And then they do it. And then like, now I feel empty. And so here we go again. So I think the biggest thing in setting goals is to be able to set yourself up with success. And that is finding people around you that don't take you too seriously and are not afraid to go like, hey, we need to sit with this one for a second. Hey, and uh, so I think the big one for threes is accountability because threes tend to go at it alone. And when you go at it alone, you don't finish. And that's the truth of it. That doesn't mean that you can't start something and launch it by yourself or be the sole CEO or whatever, but we are community people, even threes. Um, I'd say with the Enneagram type four, being so introspective and self-aware, what gets thwarted um, when goal setting, goal reaching is uh, that there's often like this feeling of like something is missing in me. Something is missing in me. I'm almost too self-aware and I see something that's like not missing, but I think is missing. And so I think a a huge one with the fours is to completely detach yourself from the goal and um, even to detach some of your feelings with the goal. And I don't mean don't be motivated by what excelling in your business will do for you. But if you're attached to certain feelings of like, I'm going to be happy, I'm going to be less stressed, I'm going to be X, Y, and Z, um, it is important to have a little bit of separation from your feelings versus what you are doing. I would never say that to a three, but I would say it to a four. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Um, The Enneagram type five, I would honestly say like, it's this one's like the hardest for me to speak on is because when I meet with fives, they've really never... and. Not, I'm just speaking very generally. Like, I it's very rare that I've seen a five come and work with me and is like, yeah, like I've tried to reach these goals and I failed. So I would say the big thing for a five is instead of stocking up on all of the knowledge that you need to actually get towards the goal and then wondering why I didn't get there or like how come it never even moved a step forward pair every bit of knowledge with a little bit of action that will propel you so much farther and you'll know what kind of knowledge you need to move forward because it's easy to get stuck in this like I need to consume and prepare and gather knowledge and now I feel like I'm full and satisfied and I got my reward and now I don't want to reach the goal so pair one piece of knowledge with one piece of action um Enneagram type six. Oh my goodness this is so hard so my um some of my best friends are in Enneagram type six. And so like, I feel like I'm like, I don't want to speak directly at them, but if I was ever going to be passive aggressive, the time is now. Um, I, <laughs> I would say the biggest thing for a six is I, I, if you've ever seen the second season of Bridgerton, one of the things that stands out to me is when um, the, the girl from the first season, the redhead, uh, Daphne, she tells her brother, the oldest one, she goes, oh, something to the effect of like, poor you, all of these responsibilities you put on yourself and you blame the rest of us for. Mm. Um, and that was, I was like six, six, six. So one of the things I would say for a six is to find someone that you truly trust. And that's why it's important. Someone you truly trust and have security with help you understand what really is and is not your responsibility in a day, in a moment and so on. Because if you feel that everything is 100% of fire and your responsibility, you will put yourself on the back burner. Anybody would, right? And so 
Um, I think it's really important to like have someone that you trust to be able to shoulder with you and be able to say, this is not yours to carry. For the Enneagram type seven, I would say like the biggest thing in goal setting is to finish the goal. Don't, you can sit down and make a plan as many times as you need to. That is a hundred percent okay. As many times as you need to, but don't start towards the goal on day one. Sit with it for a little, play with it for a little branch it out, start to to lay some framework. Because if you start to do that and if you have a tendency to move from one thing to the next, if things get hard or difficult or stuck, and you also pair that with, well, I didn't think too much into it. And I didn't think about these like long-term, like what if, what if, what if, and I'll just put this down right here and walk away. What that does is it also creates a sense of mistrust, it, the self-mistrust. Well, I can't finish things. I'm not a finisher. I'm not, you know, and suddenly we have people who think it's a personality trait to like never finish things or always be late or so on. So I say that to say it's okay to make as many like day one game plans as you possibly want before going for the goal, but decide if you've got like five, six things that you want to do in the next year, pick two, pick two of them and go at them full throttle. The other years of your life will be there. Um, Enneagram type eight, ooh, collaboration, 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 collaboration. The biggest thing for type eights is collaboration. And it's really hard because I think a lot of a lot of Enneagram types I think can identify with this, but there's a very big difference between transparency and vulnerability. And a lot of a lot of people have an easy time being transparent, but not vulnerable. I'd say that the eight has a really hard time with both. And it's not only is it difficult to say, I need help, that's transparency, but it's very difficult to say, difficult to say, this is why I need help. That's vulnerability. Um, so like working in coalition with other people, working on your vulnerability, working on at least transparency for the time being is going to be really important in setting your goals. So cooperate with people, collaborate with people, um, and reach out your hand, reach out your hand. It's okay to be the first one to do it. Um, Ooh, for the, for the peacemaker, I want to sit here and say, find different times of your life to prioritize yourself. Um, it's just not that easy. It's not that simple. But I will say the biggest tip I can give for like goal setting, goal reaching for the type nine is it's the same thing with getting married, with having children, with buying a house. You're never really ready. It's never really the right time. Also, you're always ready and it's always the right time, right? And so when it comes to prioritizing yourself, you have to make time. When it comes to saying, well, I matter too, you have to make time. These things I know they've been going on for a while, but they're muscles. These things in ourselves that say we don't matter, it's a muscle. It's a muscle that atrophies without use. So flex that muscle, start making time for yourself, even if it is 10 minutes a day and going, this is my time and I don't answer to anybody. And it's okay if I feel bad. Guilt is a manageable emotion. Sit with it. It's okay. And those are my my little tips. Just drop the mic right there. That was, <laughs> that. you could just exit stage left with a job well done. <laughs> I love that. The, the, I love the, it's never the right time, but it's always the right time. Like, I feel like that's not even just for the nines, but truly as like a life lesson mm -hmm. to depart, to like bestow on everyone as we get things wrapped up. Like, man, what a good, what a good little quotable nugget you just threw <laughs> at everyone to end that. <laughs> yeah. Thank No, thank you. Thank you. I think, and like, I think everyone, everyone should take it and run with it. Guilt is a manageable emotion. It's never the right time. It's never the wrong time. Just freaking do it. Just do it. And it's okay. And it's okay to do it a little at a time. Some people might jump puddles and some people might jump oceans and it is okay. Just jump. Ooh, so good. Okay. I know we asked you this probably 
um, the first go around, but it's been so long. I don't remember what you said. I don't know if you remember what you said. And honestly, so much of life has changed since then. Maybe (laughs) your answer has changed too. So let's do it again. What does thrive mean to you? And how do you strive to thrive in your everyday life? Oh my gosh. Okay. My answer has definitely changed since then. I don't remember what I said exactly, but I know it's changed because I've grown a lot. Yeah. And I think I think to to thrive honestly means to understand to sit with myself long enough to understand there's a bare minimum level of inner peace I think that everybody should feel at all times. I think it's relative. I think like what people can handle is relative. Um and I I think to thrive is to say it is okay to make sure I'm at that base level at all times. Like this is my level of thriving and I will work to get there. Um, And sometimes that means setting boundaries. That means pulling myself away from things, pushing myself towards things that are really difficult for me. But um, thriving definitely takes effort. But I think it means being, you know, being able to say, this is the bare minimum of peace that I want in my life. And I freaking deserve that because I deserve it. You know, I deserve it because I do. I deserve it because I do. Well, gosh, Jackie, thanks so much for coming again on Thrive because it is always such a treat to have you here. I feel like I could talk to you literally all day long. So honored to have you again on the show. Tell everybody where they can find you online to connect with you more. Oh, thank you so much. And thanks for having me um, over. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, we're so close. You might as well. Yeah, anytime. Come on <laughs> Basically, <down>. same thing. <laughs> um, you can find me on Instagram. I'm at table for nine coaching. It's F-O-R and the digit nine. Also table for nine coaching.com. And you can visit the shop there. Wait, before you go, make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. Drop five stars on your way out if you like what you just listened to. And come join the party on Instagram at thrive.podcast to stay inspired and thriving all week long. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.